Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us, from the face of him who sits on the throne, and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? What would have to happen in order for you to say that out loud for yourself? That you would rather have the mountains and the rocks fall on you than deal with what's about to happen. As we continue in our series called Endgame and studying through the book of Revelation, we actually get the answer to that question this morning. And it's that people are trying to escape the judgment of God coming upon the earth. And as we step into chapter 6 of Revelation this morning, we see that this judgment comes upon the earth in the form of a stampede. And I don't know about you, but whenever I think of a stampede, I immediately think of the movie The Lion King, right? Now, spoiler alert, if some of you haven't seen it, just close your ears for a moment. But I think of that scene where Mufasa the king is trampled to death by the wildebeests. And it just makes me think about the reality that a stampede has the power to destroy every single living thing in its path. And as we enter into chapter 6 of Revelation, we see this stampede coming upon the earth in the form of four horsemen. And this image that John sees played out in front of him is this beautiful summary of everything that's going to happen between Revelation 6 and Revelation 19, which we call the tribulation period upon the earth. It's going to be some pretty horrible stuff. It's going to be some pretty wicked stuff that we need to be prepared for as we see God unleashing his judgment on the earth. But how did we get here? How did we get to a place where God is enacting his judgment on the earth? Well, if you remember back in chapter 5, John was transported to heaven and he has this vision where he sees God on the throne. And in his right hand, he held a scroll which represents the, the title deed of the earth, ownership of the earth. And on this scroll were seven seals sealing it shut. And we learned that no one on earth, above the earth, or below the earth could open the scroll, could loose its seals, except for one, the lamb, Jesus himself. And so as we open this morning in Revelation chapter 6, we see Jesus beginning to loosen the scroll, to loosen the seals and opening the scroll, which signifies to us that Jesus is allowing what's about to happen to come forth on the earth. Keep that in mind as we read through these things, that Jesus is the only one that could make this happen, giving authority and approval to it. And so we talked about these four horsemen, and Revelation chapter 6 opens up by telling us about the first horse we see, the white horse. If you'd follow along with me in chapter 6, verses 1 through 2, it says, I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. 
You know, in the old Western movies, whenever you would see someone come riding into town on a white horse, who would you expect it to be? The good guy, right? The hero? Not in this case. This guy is going to have everybody fooled. He's going to be one of the greatest counterfeits. And that's the point of a good counterfeiter, right? You want it to look as close to the original as possible. If I were to counterfeit money, which I don't, just letting that be clear right now, if I were to counterfeit money, say $20 bills, I wouldn't go around printing Pastor Carlos's picture at the very center of the $20 bill. No one would buy it, no pun intended. It just wouldn't go anywhere. No, I'd want to make it look as close to the original to seem as authentic as possible, to fool people, to trick people. And that's what we see happening here with this rider on the white horse. It's going to be the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing, deceiving people to think that he's Jesus Christ. But we know that it's not true. Because if you read a little bit ahead in Revelation chapter 19, Jesus comes riding in on a white horse at the end of the tribulation period, not here at the beginning. Not only that, Jesus comes to end the bloodshed, the warfare, the carnage, and the terror. This rider comes to bring it in to the world. Not only that, in Revelation 19, we see Jesus has on his head many crowns. And it's so cool when you start to look at this in the Greek, the word that's used for crown in Revelation 19 is the word didemata. And it's a crown of rulership, a crown of authority and power. But here, this white writer, he has a crown too, but the word that's used here is the word stephanas, which it means a temporary crown, kind of like a crown made of leaves that you would give to someone for running a race or winning a marathon has no power, has no authority. It's just like a victor's medal, if you will. So this guy is going to be the ultimate wolf in sheep's clothing, and he is going to have people deceived. People are going to be led astray. And maybe you're sitting there this morning thinking to yourself, you know, I know enough about the Bible. I know enough about Jesus that I'm pretty sure that I would be able to tell the difference. Because when I look at my life, I do have a good gauge as we look in our history as a world too. We kind of have a good grounding for when things are real and when things are not real. When things are really as they appear versus what they may appear to be. Well, I want to remind you about this and think about this. 83 years ago, there was a man who rose to power in the world. He came into the scene and he promoted that he was able to bring unity and peace to the world. And all of the Western allies thought that he was the hero of the day, that he was going to unify the world and bring order and peace in a way that nobody has ever seen before. And so Neville Chamberlain, the prime minister of Britain, met with this man in Munich, and they signed this peace treaty called the Munich Agreement. Do you know who the other signer of that treaty was? Adolf Hitler. Only one person really saw through this, and that was Winston Churchill. He said, I don't trust this man but by the time that he was able to convince others, it was too late and the world was plunged into war. See, deception is real. Deception is something every single person can easily fall into if we're not paying attention. If we don't know the reality that's laid before us. That's just the first horse. Then we read about the second horse, which is the red horse. We see this in Revelation 6, verses 3 and 4. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth, to make people kill each other. To him, 
was given a large sword. You know, in the Bible, the color red signifies carnage and terror. And this red rider, it's hard to say back to back, red rider is going to come to issue a time of warfare upon the earth. Type of war we've never seen or experienced before. And if you notice, there's a very key word here. It says, given to him was a sword. He didn't come with a sword. He didn't already have it in his stock. No, it was given to him. Who gave him the sword to enact warfare upon the earth? The only one who could open the scrolls. The only one who could allow all of this to take place. And so this rider is going to come and bring a warfare on the earth like we've never seen before. You know, as mankind, we have always been fascinated with war. We've always tried, as long as we've been in existence, to find new ways to kill one another. In fact, if you look at the Norwegian Academy of Sciences, since 3600 BC, there have been about 14,531 wars. That means only 292 years of what we would consider to be peaceful. That's 2.6 wars a year, one year of peace for every two decades, 36 hours of peace every month, one minute of peace every four hours. Let me say that again, one minute of peace for every four hours. That sounds like my house with a toddler. (laughs) But this is all going to come to a head in something called the Battle of Armageddon, where it's going to get even worse. We know this stuff is real. And what's really scary and why this is important to us is because whether you want to acknowledge it or not, we have the ability to destroy the world in just under an hour. You know, in 1945, New Mexico, the United States detonated a bomb. They studied it, they analyzed it, and classified it as a weapon of mass destruction. Three weeks later, President Truman would use a bomb just like it to drop on Hiroshima in Japan. And what's crazy for us to think about is that according to the Center for Defense Information, at the height of the United States, we had in our possession about 31,000 bombs just like it. In fact, if you actually look at it, when I started to research it, each warhead had the equivalent of 460 million tons of TNT. That's 35,000 times greater than the bomb we dropped on Hiroshima. But due to different peace treaties, arms negotiations, and arms deals, we have about 5,500 active nuclear weapons in our arsenal. But we are only one of nine nations with nuclear capabilities. Can you see how this could be real? What a type of warfare could come upon the earth like we've never imagined before? It's possible. It's plausible. It's probable. We have the ability to do it, and we need to be aware of what's coming. That's just the second horse. (laughs) Then we see the third horse, the black horse, mentioned in verses 5 through 6. Look at this. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. Six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. See, this rider comes with a scale in his hands, which to me signifies rationing or measuring. And this is, in my opinion, alluding to a famine amongst the land. 
Because whenever you've got a great time of warfare, famine usually follows as the food lines, they're threatened or they're destroyed. Did you know that today there are about 795 million people who are classified as chronically malnourished? That means that they don't have enough food to live a healthy lifestyle. To put that in perspective for us, one out of every nine people on the planet Earth goes to bed hungry every single night. And there's going to be a famine that's going to make that even worse. If you notice what it said in verse 6, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Put this in today's context. In California, a day's wage, the minimum wage is what, like $14 an hour? If you work an eight-hour shift, that's $112 before tax. Two pounds of wheat is pretty much equal to one large loaf of bread. You're spending $112 on a large loaf of bread just to survive. It's saying that you're going to be spending everything that you make just to scrape by, let alone to feed your family. And barley? Barley was food not even fit for humans. It was a livestock type of food. But it's all that's available. As people are going to be scrounging, trying to find something to eat in the midst of this famine. But then another horse comes. The pale horse. Look at this in Revelation chapter 6, verses 7 through 8. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard a voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Notice this rider doesn't ride alone. Death comes riding with hell. It's like two famous outlaws riding into town. And together they have the capacity to kill a fourth of the world. A fourth of the population of the world. If you think about that in today's perspective, there's what, 7.9 billion people in the world and growing? A fourth of that is about, what, 1.95, 1.98 billion people? Gone. To give you a visual for that, China, the population of China is 1.3 billion people currently. <laughs> All gone. This is going to be some terrifying stuff. How does this happen? Well, it says, if you looked at it, it comes by sword, by famine, by plague, and then something very interesting at the end. By the wild beasts of the earth. What could that mean? Well, one scholar wrote and said, as a country is engulfed in war, Able-bodied men take up arms. Farmers leave their fields as food supplies become scarce. And soon there's malnutrition followed by disease. And ultimately, the wild beasts prey upon the weakened people. That's scary to think about. But let me give you another theory of another dangerous creature that every single one of us has probably come in contact with at some point in our life. And that's the rat. The rat. The rats are virtually everywhere on planet Earth, and they're very prolific, which means they like to have lots and lots and lots of rat babies. And they all carry diseases. And maybe you're thinking, there's no way rats could wipe out a fourth of the Earth. Well, think about this. 14th century Europe, Black Death, a fourth of the population of Europe was wiped out because of diseases that rats carried. Could be. This is all very real stuff. And these are just the first four seals being opened upon the earth. 
then the fifth seal is opened as we continue in chapter six. There's an image of the souls who have been slain under the altar of God. These are the people who have been martyred for holding true, holding fast to scripture, standing by the gospel in the midst of this tribulation period. And they're crying out to God saying, how long must we wait until we're avenged? To which God replies and he says, a little while longer. Just wait until the full number of your brothers and sisters is gathered together. See, folks, what that tells us is that people, even in the midst of this tribulation, are still going to be coming to Christ, are still going to be getting a hold of salvation. This, I don't want you to miss this out. This is Jesus offering another chance at salvation in the midst of terror, in the midst of horror. And that's so important for us to understand that he wants to give us this opportunity because it's only going to get worse. And we see that as the sixth seal is open and things build up. The sixth seal is open. There's this great earthquake upon the earth. We know that the mountains and the islands, they disappear into the ocean. The sun is eclipsed. The moon turns blood-like. The stars fall from the heavens like meteors. The heavens recede back. It's possible that there could be a great earthquake unlike anything we've ever experienced that causes tsunamis that just wipe out geographical features. It could be that huge crevices open in the earth, releasing dust clouds that eclipse the sun and turn the color of the moon at night. See, folks, all this stuff is possible. Just as we have seen prophecy after prophecy after prophecy fulfilled in Scripture, we know this too will also be fulfilled. That this too is a reality we need to be awakened to. And that's why the people on the earth are able to say as we open this morning, the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called out to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? It's going to be a great time of tribulation. It's going to be a great time of grief and chaos upon the earth. But it's also going to be a great time of salvation. It's going to be a great time of revival. Now, when I say the word revival, what do you think about? For me, I think immediately of all the famous revivals that have taken place in history. Think about the Great Awakening in America, the Great Reformation in Europe. I think about the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit goes throughout Jerusalem and thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to believe in Jesus Christ. But as great as all of these revivals are, I really believe they pale in comparison to the revival we're going to see in these end times for what God really has in store. And that's what we see start to unfold as we move from chapter 6 into chapter 7. We see some good news in the midst of all of this bad news. We see God promising to protect his people. And not only that, we see this revival that's going to take place on this earth like we've never seen before. And this is so important for us, folks, because as we sit here, friends, this morning, as Christians, we find comfort in knowing we're not going to have to deal with stuff like this. But we have friends. We have family members relatives, co-workers, neighbors who we don't maybe know where their salvation is. Maybe we're afraid for them, thinking when this time happens, is the door of salvation closed? 
Is their chance to get to heaven gone? The answer is no, not at all. Because we see this in chapter seven, we see this good news in the midst of bad news. Do you remember how the question in chapter six ended? Who can withstand the wrath of the lamb? Who is able to stand? Well, if you think back to chapter five, we saw the fifth seal, we see the souls of those who were slain under the altar. These are people who in the midst of this tribulation heard the word of God and decided to hold on to it, to believe in it, to stand by it, and as a result of it, become martyred for their faith, become martyred for their belief. Folks, what that tells us is there are still people coming to the Lord in the midst of the tribulation. There is still an opportunity for people to be saved when it looks like that opportunity is gone. And it's going to be a powerful thing. It's going to be an amazing thing when we start to look at that. Because that's the good news. That's what we really see start to unfold as God is opening these, as Jesus is letting these seals come forward in the midst of this bad time. And how bad is it? I mean, come on, really, how bad is this tribulation? Well, Jesus says it's going to be the worst of times. And if you think what we've covered so far is bad, it's only going to get worse. In fact, as we're moving through these seals, what we're going to see next week is these seven trumpets of judgment come upon the earth. And I don't want to spoil it for you, but I just want to give you a real quick glimpse of what that's going to look like. Revelation chapter 8, hail and fire come from the sky, contaminate the water sources and burn up the vegetation. Chapter 9, the bottomless pit is open, locusts come and torment people. Chapter 16, people get malignant sores. They're poisoned and scorched by the sun as hail comes out of heaven. See, Satan and his hordes are going to be wreaking havoc upon the earth, taking full advantage of the chaos and the grief and the pain and the misery and the hurt that exists on the earth. It's going to be a time of divine reckoning of demonic troublemaking, but it's also going to be a time of spiritual awakening, a spiritual revival. And that's what we see start to unfold, is that even in the midst of all of this, God extends his grace. You know, that's God's heart. God's heart isn't to judge you, it's to save you. And he wants to give every single person on the face of this earth the opportunity to know him to be saved by him. And he's going to even do it when things seem like they can't get any better. And how is he going to do that? Well, he's going to make his message known. And we see three ways in which he's going to make his message known in these end times. First, in chapter 11, we're going to be introduced to two witnesses who are able to boldly go forward and proclaim the name of God and have power to perform miracles. Then we're going to see 144,000 evangelists unleashed upon the earth. And not only that, but there's an angel flying around the heavens proclaiming the name of the Lord. So every tribe, every nation, every tongue can hear the name of Jesus Christ, can hear the power of God. And as a result of it, people are going to be saved. It's going to be an amazing and a wonderful time. And the message is telling us that there is a protection for God's people. And we actually see this as chapter 7 opens up. Take a look at this with me in chapter 7, verses 1 through 4. It says, after I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. 
he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the tree until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Who are the 144,000? Well, we're going to cover that more in depth in about two weeks. But simply put, it's the Jews. Why the Jews? What's so significant about the Jewish people? You see, God's prophetic plan has always involved the Jews. In fact, if you look at the Bible, about a fourth of what we read is all about Jewish history, about the Hebrew people, the Hebrew race. See, the tribulation period in part is an opportunity for the Jews to receive Jesus, their Messiah. They failed to do it the first time. They've been struggling to do it for years, and so this is going to be a final opportunity for them. And it's going to be a great day for those who are able to grab a hold of this because it says they will be sealed by God. And what is a seal, right? I'm not talking about the little barking water dog, no. A seal is an imprint made by a ring in wax, and a seal really signified two things. It signified ownership and protection. And so by God sealing his people, he's saying, these are my people claiming ownership whom I will protect. They're under my protection because I have designed them. I have designated them for something amazing on this earth. And what is that something amazing? It's to preach the name of God to preach the message of salvation, the good news of Jesus Christ, so souls can be saved even in the midst of tribulation, even in the midst of hardship. And we see this as chapter seven closes. Follow with me as we finish up chapter seven. After this, I looked up and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the lamb. They were wearing white robes, and were holding palm branches in their hands. Now, when it says no one could number, it's not that they physically couldn't count the people there. It's that there were so many people, it was overwhelming to try to get an accurate count. That's such an amazing picture of all these people coming to God in the midst of pain and hurt. But it continues on to say this. All of the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wow, there's a lot there. But let's notice just a couple of things as we wrap up this morning. First, it says that these people are standing. They're not sitting, they're standing. 
And this is significant because we know the 24 elders who represent the church, they're sitting. So we know these people aren't the church. They're a different group. John knows who these people are. He doesn't know who the people standing are. And so when the elder asks him, who are these guys? John's like, I have no idea. But you see, that question was asked so that it could be answered. These are the people who have come to faith, who have been saved, who have been part of the greatest revival known to man in the end times. And the hardest of possible situations we could ever encounter or face. It's a great moment. And this is significant because if you start to look at it in verse 17, it says, the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. They won't cry anymore. They won't hunger anymore. They won't thirst anymore. They won't be in pain anymore because they are now in the presence of God. They are now with Jesus. They've been set free from the torment on the earth. They've been given white robes washed in the blood of the lamb to make them clean. They've been given palm branches as a symbol of joy. Jewish festivals and customs, they would take palm branches and wave them up and down as an act of worship and celebration and joy because this is a great revival. These are people coming to the Lord, believing in the Lord who have never experienced it before. And what a great day it's going to be. What a promise that is. What a blessing that is. People from every tribe, language, nation, race, gender, every single person coming before the Lord and saying, holy are you. What a great revival. See, folks, here's the point. This is going to be a terrible time upon the earth. There's going to be some really bad stuff that's going to be taking place. But I want you to see the end game of it all. The end game is for us not to be afraid because we're going to see heaven. We're going to get to be in the presence of the grace and the glory of God. See, this is the age of grace. Right now, you have an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ to heed his words, to receive the gift of salvation, to receive protection, to receive freedom and liberty where you don't have to cry or be in pain anymore. This is the moment for you to grab a hold of that because that moment, it will end. It's not gonna last forever. So why miss it? Why not grab a hold of it? Why live in fear of what we know is going to happen when we can live in freedom in the power and strength of God and the revival that he brings? See, folks, this is for us right here, right now, that we would grab a hold of God. We would grab a hold of the truth of Scripture, run to him, believe in him, cast our cares, our worries, our anxieties, our fears, whatever it may be that's holding us back this week, that we would just unleash it to him and let him have control of our lives. To be a part of the greatest revival the world has ever known. Question is, what are you waiting for? Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you love us enough to tell us, Father, to show us 
through this incredibly difficult vision that John sees what's coming upon the earth. Father, in seeing the stampede of horses coming out, bringing devastation in their way, I pray that we would find peace with you now. Father, that we would find real peace and comfort in you right now until there's a worldwide peace. God, that you would give us an individual peace, a personal peace as our hearts are surrendered to you, as our sins are forgiven, as we begin to trust and what you did for us on that cross. God, I pray that you would just allow us to grab a hold of that. It's time for us to stop living in fear. Stop asking the what ifs. Father, just cast all our burdens on you. Surrender our lives to you. Father, we want to be a part of that revival. Father, we want to grab a hold of your truth. you're in this room and with all eyes closed and you've been struggling or you've been living in fear as we've been going through revelation or worry or anxiety or have uncertainty and you're tired you're run down you just don't know where to go there is salvation for you today there is grace forgiveness and mercy and power and strength available for you today. All you gotta do is receive it. Ask Jesus to give it to you. If that's you this morning, if you're just ready to receive Jesus, to be set free from the fear of what's to come, just go ahead and raise your hand. Father, I just pray over all these hands raised. God, that you would just give them your comfort. God, that you would still their hearts, Father, instill in them a peace that only you can bring and knowing that they're yours. God, knowing that we are yours. And we have your protection. We have your strength. We have your power, Father. And so I pray that we would just invoke that. We would grab a hold of that as we go into this week. As we go on with our lives, Father, that every day we would choose to believe in you, to trust in you. We love you, Father. Pray this in your name.